nobody was going to give me the formula or the secret sauce. I thought, well, I may as well get on with this healing thing and sleep, sleep the sleep of the dead and you know, just pay off the sleep debt and to start to really nourish my body and give up pummeling myself at the gym. I said no to almost everything. It was just, I really, really went inwards. That was my period of being in the cocoon where everything I knew became kind of soup. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin the show, I have something for you. The Rising Leader Handbook is going to be published in October of this year, but you don't have to wait. If you go to my website, www.markjsilverman.com, click the red button, you can get an advanced copy of the executive summary of the Rising Leader Handbook. In the same place, you can get a copy of Only Tens. Love to get your feedback. Now on with the show. Today's show is a special treat. It is a replay of a conversation that I had with Dr. Mandy Leto on my Mastering Midlife podcast. Dr. Leto is a self-professed overachiever. She is just good at everything, energetic and driven. And she talked about how that drivenness, that, that perfectionism drove her to burnout and adrenal fatigue. It's such a good conversation. We were going through the uh, Rising Leader Handbook manuscript and using some quotes from Dr. Leto. And it was really apparent to me with a lot of the conversations that I'm having on burnout and overwhelm, that is a great conversation to repeat for the Rising Leader podcast. So please enjoy this very in-depth, very raw and very vulnerable conversation with a brilliant woman, Dr. Mandy Leto. Today, I am so excited to talk to one of my favorite people on the face of the planet, Dr. Mandy Leto, who's over there in London, having a conversation with us across the pond. Uh, I met Mandy a couple of a few years ago, and we've been on a journey together, and I've watched her probably on the tail end of, of uh, transformation, and it's been amazing. So when I thought of this podcast, I thought about this beautiful woman who used to be an investment banking, an award-winning image consultant, a published author, and really a, a type A driven, successful woman, and how she has worked through doing it one way and teaches other women how to do it another way, basically what we talk about on this podcast. So I asked Mandy to come and talk about her journey and give her uh, gold to my listeners. So Mandy, thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a joy to hang out with you and your people. Thank you for inviting me. And I love calling you Dr. Mandy Leto. I just love it. <laughs> uh, so tell me so tell me the journey that, that, that brought you to this moment uh, that we would have this conversation. Where did this start? I will give you the 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 fast version of this you know when they do those the plants when you see them grow and they go they the time lapse version that's the word i was looking for i think it probably started when i was very small i was a daughter of a very driven man who really wanted to escape his history 
And he really wanted his life to look a certain way. And then I, not, not necessarily wanting to inherit it, but I have inherited that from him. He was driven. He pushed me. And that was the way that I learned how to be somebody in the world, how to validate myself was to achieve, to push, to come home with 10 out of 10s and gold stars and blue ribbons and trophies. And although sometimes I resented it at the time, it became really dyed in the wool of who I am as a human being. And it has served me deeply throughout most of my life because I'm the first woman in my family to ever go to university. And I grew up shoveling cow poo on a farm, and now I'm living in London, having had a career in investment banking and having done a PhD in England. So I think it's some, it was a learned behavior. It was a way of surviving, if that doesn't sound too dramatic, to become that type A driven three in the Enneagram. So it, wasn't a, it wasn't a choice and just a natural way of being. It was something that you put on to learn how to cope with the world. It's hard for me to unvelcro things, but having spent a lot of time sitting there writing about this in my memoir, I think it was predominantly, I mean, what child chooses to sit there and do arithmetic instead of playing outside? And it's not to say I didn't do those things either, but I realized very quickly, I caught on very quickly that to be successful, to be loved, to be to be worth knowing meant that I had to show up a certain way in the world. And this, as I said, was useful in school. It bought me validation, not only within my family, but from other people. It was hugely useful in the workplace. So when I completed my PhD and I got my, my job in investment banking, I felt like, I don't know if, if any of your listeners have ever either read the book or watched the movie of Alison Pearson's fantastic, quite funny book, I Don't Know How She Does It. It, came, it turned into a movie with Sarah Jessica Parker. And it's all of these, it's exactly what you think in the title. I don't know how she does it. How do I, I'm always running. How do I manage aging parents? How am I constantly trying to escape feeling fried, running from meeting to meeting, caught in that bad mother, bad employee bind of, you know, it's all the usual suspects that this is where this journey was. Something kept nudging me that, I'm made for more than this. You see that meme, like uh, there's got to be more to life than working and paying bills before you die, something like that. So you had that that thought before you hit the wall, that there's got to be more. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I knew that there was an unlived life trying to tug at my sleeve every once in a while. So that whisper, but you didn't do it, but you didn't do anything about it. Well, the thing is, I think I tried to intellectualize it, thinking, I know better because look at how hard I've worked and everybody out there is telling me I'm successful. And yet that I pretty much convinced myself. And yet there's this feeling that I don't really care where the Bund future is, or I don't really care what's on the front cover of the Financial Times. I can do that and I can be good at it. But little by little, like there's this side of me inside that's just dying. And this unlived life that it keeps trying to make itself known. And I keep trying to push it down because I'm like, no, 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 I'm successful. Look, so I that have- was my question. So, so you knew like that whisper, that, that gut instinct was coming up, that intuition, but you, you pushed it aside because the validation and the way things were working were louder than that. Also, I had no clarity around what it meant to be successful. 
I simply, like a pill, swallowed down what society's version of what constitutes success is, which is shiny things, title, status, money, all of that, and realized that I, w- I was going in that direction, but there's this, this tug constantly happening within me. But I thought, no, 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 I can buy things and I can go places and I'm respected. So that actually must be what success is because all that other stuff that really juices me up, you don't make money on that. And shit, I was a student for so many years. I don't want to eat beans on toast anymore. Right. So it's this, it was this compromising with myself. You know, you can do something that you really love or explore that or indulge yourself. That was the language I used to make it wrong. Or you can do something that buys you choices and options. And let's face it, who's really, truly happy anyway? So that was... Oh, oh that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lovely give up right there. You know, this is as good as it gets and who has it any better than me? So why, why should I even care about it anymore? Yeah. Wow. So what was the turning point? There were several, but I think sometimes really smart people are extraordinarily stupid. There were several. Uh, The first was when my son was born and I had to go back to work when he was 16 weeks old. And it tore my heart out because I wanted to spend more time with him. And I did this ping pong of like, oh, but I've gone to school for all these years and I've got this job and I'm finally on this career ladder. I can't just, and I italicized the word just on purpose, I can't just be a mom because I'll go mental listening to the wheels on the bus go round and round. And, you know, what about, what about this brain I've invested in? So that was the first real tug at my heartstrings that there's, there's more to success than what I had initially thought there was. And when but you heard that, when, so when you had that tug, what did you do with it? I thought about it. And then I said to myself, I'm not there yet in mm. my career. Although I didn't probe any further what there was. Right. So, so a tapping on the shoulder and you're like, okay, hold on. I'm still, I'm still stewing here. I'm still going. Okay. And the second one was when my marriage fell apart because I was never around and there was a lot of tension and that should have been a wake up call too. But I thought, no, 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 I'm not there yet. I still need to keep pursuing this. And the story I told myself was that my then husband just couldn't handle my success. Yeah. So another tap on the shoulder, another justification to keep walking the same road. And the third thing that finally ended up pulling the rug out from under me was my body gave up. And this, I think, had been going on for some time, but I didn't want to listen to it. So I was getting increasingly tired. But I mean, that kind of lifestyle where you're constantly reacting, meeting to meeting, phone call to phone call, long hours, never really being able to switch off. I just thought that was normal because everybody that I surrounded myself with felt like that too. They were either new parents or they were investment bankers. So it was just, there was, no, there was nothing else. And I found myself when I was walking on the street, I was getting annoyed because people were having leisurely strolls. I'm like, come on, people, don't you have somewhere to be? Or, <laughs> or I would answer the phone at home when people still use landlines. I actually answered the phone one day with the name of my company and I had to laugh at myself. And little by little, this exhaustion started to become more crippling. And actually, it didn't fully hit me until after I had resigned and decided decided to start my own business. It was a slow burn. And then within a matter of weeks of having started my coaching business, and and then when I was doing professional image consulting, I had a newborn with my new partner at the time. 
And there were days when I just couldn't get out of bed. I was literally Velcroed to the bed. I, I thought, oh, how can I face another day? And it started to get worse and worse until there were days where I was climbing the stairs with my toddler on all fours, like going up the stairs thinking, wow, I'm glad she's doing this with me because then I I don't actually have to see there's something wrong with this picture and things like I was now. So, so life whispered, then life tapped you on the shoulder. Now life shouting at you. uh, Hello, something needs to be different. But I went to the doctor and they said, there's nothing wrong with you. They looked through my blood tests and then they had that conversation of, do you have support at home? When was your last holiday? And I could see which direction they were going into. I said, I don't think I'm depressed. And then I thought it was just validation from the doctor said, well, I can't see anything wrong with your blood. So I'm like, see, there's nothing wrong with me. I just need more coffee. (laughs) I need more coffee. I need more carbs and I need more cardio. Mm. The three Ds that had kept me going for such a long time. So I hired a personal trainer and we double, started double, double, let's double down. <laughs> we start, I, this is just makes me face palm now to think about it. But I said, I need more energy. So let's do some high intensity cardio. So he said, let's do something called high intensity interval training. Mm. And it was such a great idea until it wasn't. That initially you get that runner's high and the euphoria of the sweat pouring down you. And the thing that actually broke the camel's back was two things. We started boxing because I said, you know, is there anything there that has a bit more juice than this? See, type A. Oh, and and that that so fits the old Mandy is let's box. (laughs) So we did boxing and we did, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And it was hard. I thought, how hard can this be? It was really hard. And all of a sudden, after about four minutes into one session, he said, let's do the left side now. I just dropped like a shot bird Mm. and I was hunched over. I was foaming at the mouth. I thought, I was embarrassed. You know, my first thought was I was embarrassed for the trainer to see me like this because he wouldn't think I was strong. And that's one thing I had never been was weak. Mm. I said, no, no, I'm sure we can do a plank or do some floor work. Maybe I'm just feeling under the weather. And then my arms buckled like the poles of a pup tent after about 30 seconds. I said, wow, I need to, maybe something's coming down. I'm coming down with something. I went to the doctor again. There's nothing wrong with your bloods. But I'm in this place of my body is in revolt and my head is like, well, there's nothing wrong with me. What is going on? The only thing that made me listen was I broke out in this hideous, oozing, crackling rash that basically made it look like I had a goatee made of cornflakes. Ooh, vanity. Vanity. (laughs) Oh, the universe is like, vanity will get her. That was the jugular. I'm so ashamed to say that, but that was actually what made me realize something ain't right here. Yeah, if, and, I can't, if I can't look pretty through all this hell, then I, I got to find another way. So that was when I started to see a nutritional therapist, hoping she was going to give me some magical green spirulina powder or something that would spring me back to life. And she basically said, we need to remove coffee, wine, carb, <laughs> sugar, all of the scaffolding that had been holding me up. She said, I don't want you exercising for the time being. You just need to basically lay in bed. And I opened my, actually opened my phone and I showed her what my calendar looked. I said, you don't understand. Oh, you don't understand. I said to her, I said, can we start this in about three months? <laughs> <laughs> 
And then I was sitting on the tube coming back from this visit and she, she, her words kept ringing in my mind about how I was driving myself relentlessly and how this wasn't going to end well. And her words on the loop in my mind, this is serious, Mandy, really serious. And I looked up, I was sitting on the tube and there was an advert on the wall for a donkey charity somewhere in the third world. And this skinny little donkey, one donkey is pulling this cart of garbage, just this huge, enormous, I don't know how they fit so much stuff on this little trolley. And then there's this donkey on its front knees. And you can't see, you can't see the, the rider wielding this whip. And I thought that struck me. That was burned on my brain. I thought I'm both the donkey. Oh, that's interesting. You're both. I'm both. And the driver wielding the whip. And at that stage, I realized that I could not go on like this. So what had served me so well, which was this single point focus, this certainty that I was being successful and that I knew best and therefore all the other voices that were coming up needed to be pushed down. All of a sudden, the whole grid pattern of everything that I knew before of how to be a human in the world kind of disintegrated like an old fishing net. And there I was free falling. And I had, to, I had to go home and go to bed because I was in a bad way. So what you, did you, you do with your calendar? I had to clear it. And shockingly, nothing that bad happened. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? <laughs> but you don't understand. No, you don't understand. <laughs> it's actually quite vulnerable sharing all of that. But that, was, that was how we got to have this conversation. So, so you've, um, I, I know you've talked about this before. Uh, and why is it vulnerable now? I suppose I'm recovering from the shame of all of it, but again, having this feeling that I know best and that I, I felt that I had created this successful life that was going to, that was going to get me somewhere. And almost the arrogance and the hardness and the doggedness around me pushing. I'm, I'm partly ashamed for my own, for my own body and what I put it through. Sure. It's uh, everything that has followed from there has been a profound softening and an exercise in humility, all highly necessary and all highly uncomfortable. Sure. So tell me, tell me more about the hero's journey here. So you crashed and burned and out of the ashes come a new way of being a new, new way of being that you're kind of feeling your way through? It was going on a journey with no roadmap because I think the first thing that I needed to do was to mourn. To mourn because everything I tried, I can't, it wasn't even that clean cut that all of a sudden I went into this softening. I actually went through medical interventions, acupuncture, uh, Indian head massage, reflexology, becoming increasingly woo as none of those things would work for me. I did seven rhythms or five rhythms dance. So when you, when you say woo, you're talking about going from corporate Mandy to, oh, what is this new age stuff that because I need to heal myself? Back where I was before and nothing was giving me the secret formula. Nothing was mm. giving me the juice. So I went on this headless chicken journey of just burning through all sorts of different, I will drink green juice, I will drink, you know, whatever, I will take 
herbs that taste horrible. I will go for acupuncture every week. I will go five rhythms dancing. I so will. Even that, so that, even that <laughs> treadmill didn't work. Even that treadmill didn't work. Like, and, and my guess is some of it prepared you for whatever did work, but that's true. you know, that's cause true. we got to try what's not it to find what's it. And we got to heal our body from the toxins and the things that we put in it. And, you know, some of the, some of that stuff you did probably let go of some of the trauma that was keeping you in the loop. So, you know, you, I don't want to ever discount people's uh, journey when things didn't seem like it worked. Cause we never know which tap is going to break the stone. So what, what finally did do it for you? I went to see a woman who specialized on burnout. She's a very prolific writer. I went to stand in her living room. She's an expert on burnout. And she, she, she made us do, she made me do these exercises. She said, okay, well, let's begin by you drawing your experience. And I thought my favorite <laughs> must have just wilted. I paid a lot of money. Here we go again. <laughs> and she wanted me to, and I, I was thinking there, I wonder what I wonder what she wants me to draw. So I was kind of like trying to psych her out. So she'd give me the goods who give me the secret formula that I needed to bounce back because she was an expert. So I drew what I thought she would want me to draw. And she said, no, that's too stylized. That's too, uh, and then I thought, okay, so I'm going to do a kind of Jackson Pollock type thing. And then she said, okay, well, this is not working. So she made me do this exercise where she said, tell me about what object are you? Characterize yourself at this point in your burnout. And I said, I'm a cactus. I don't know where that came from. So she made me stand on her carpet in my bare feet like a cactus. And then she said, now tell me, what sound does the cactus make? I thought, oh, for God's sake. So I started humming and I'll, I realized that she was not, not going to give me the formula because at the end of this, I kind of gave up. And she said, what if this is the best you're ever going to feel? And this, this fist in my ribs I was fighting to hold back the tears. I was you know, pressing my nails into my palm. Do not cry. Do not cry. Do not break down. Do not break down. Heaven forbid I break down. And I didn't like her answer. And so I, I remember giving her a hug and saying, thank you for this session while I was seething internally. And I was going down the stairs of her building, realizing that nobody can give me an answer. Nobody is coming. She was my last hope. Nobody is coming. And I remember sitting on the journey home, feeling so hopeless that it was not even a high, it was not a high energy feeling. It was just this feeling of this is really over because no matter what I drink or how many needles I get put in my skin or dancing in the nude or standing on someone's carpet being a cactus and all the other things I did in between. I mean, I, I had lessons from a pole dancer and a former showgirl, and I had a conversation with my vagina, and I did like tons of different <laughs> things, tons of different things that would just give me the blinking answer. Yes. Oh, and I think that was when I just, I gave up. I gave up because there was nothing more I could do. And that was... That was when my period of profound nothingness, emptiness, and I thought, I wonder if I should have taken those antidepressants because I just felt, I felt hollow. I didn't feel anything. It was Christmas around that time and everybody was here and I was lying in my bed upstairs in the dark and I heard everybody merrymaking downstairs and the smells of food and I just wanted everyone to go away and leave me alone because I felt I had nothing to contribute. I was nobody. Mm. And that was the lowest of low, having no conception anymore of 
who I was because I was so over identified with my output or what am I, who am I as a person, as a woman, if I can't be doing something like just for me to be skin and bones and breathing? What is that? So how did you allow yourself this time? You had children, you had a partner, you know, you had a world going on around you. How did you allow this? I didn't have any choice. If I would have had a choice now in my, in my increased humility, I was going to say wisdom, but I think wisdom is just realizing I know less than I've ever known. <laughs> the more I, the older I get, the less I know. If there would have been some possibility to intervene differently, I don't think it was a choice. It was the lack of choice. I would have done anything to, so I thrashed like hell. I was not going to give up on this until I really had no choice but to surrender. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't graceful. So, uh, so where, where did that lead you? So that was the beginning. Right. And once I realized that nobody was coming, nobody was going to give me the formula or the secret sauce, I thought, well, I may as well get on with this healing thing and sleep, sleep the sleep of the dead and, you know, just pay off the sleep debt and to start to really nourish my body and give up pummeling myself at the gym. I said no to almost everything. It was just, I really, really went inwards. That was my period of being in the cocoon where everything I knew became kind of soup and staying in that dark, uncertain place, having no idea what the outcome of this was going to be. So this was where I had to completely let go of outcome. And it, it became a profound time of mindfulness because I couldn't think for in any way into the future. It was basically, how do I exist in this moment? It's so funny because I, I, I consider that mindlessness, mm-hmm. right? So letting go of the mind because the mind is in the future. So you, you actually allowed that to all fall, fall apart and, and to experience you know, this exquisite moment. And then to understand, I had a conversation with my with my husband and it was something around, you know, the lines of, if I could just get back to that person who I used to be. And he said, well, what if we don't want that person back? And there was just this moment of airlessness for a moment where I thought, oh, I never considered that what could come out of this could be actually better and more, more in, more in my life because as I started to realize I spent a lot of time we read bedtime stories when I was stewing my own juices in bed we hung out we did things that I hadn't done with my kids maybe ever we made forts out of cushions and read stories with flashlights and we ate and got crumbs in the bed and all those kind of things that I would have never done before because I was too busy so you got to be a kid I got to be a kid that's exactly it I got to go back and reclaim those parts of myself that, and I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not saying I had no childhood, but all of a sudden it, I had permission to have fun and it was okay not to achieve anything in the usual sense of the word. It was okay to live non-linearly. It was okay just to, hey, what does my body fancy today? And again, it's not a straightforward process because even feeling like I'm coming out of that now and I'm living really differently than I ever used to. 
certain people, certain situations will still trigger those old imprints in me. And I will feel that I need to hustle for worthiness or try to impress or try to, to be the best or compete. But I catch it a lot quicker now. So I don't want anybody to think that, okay, all of a sudden you cross this finish line and everything is different. It, that hasn't been my experience. So, right. So, so, so now I, 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 I can see uh, a woman in the car listening to you and going, yeah, but how does she get things done now? This is so nice for her. Like, so tell, how do you get things done? Are you productive? Are you a productive member of society or are you still building, just building forts and, and picking daisies now? <laughs> well, I think it's both. I think the first thing that I needed to do before I found a way to be in relation to achieving again and not in an unhealthy way, because my body will still put the brakes on that very, very quickly, is to find a way to bring more ease into doing. Because I had this thought, this belief that to be good, something had to be really hard. I was a hardaholic. I was willing to push myself in a way that most people weren't. And that was what I mistakenly thought made me successful. But what if there were more ease around success? So on a case-by-case scenario situation, I will actually think, how can I bring ease into this process? So I'm writing a book at the moment. How can I bring ease into this process? Whatever other project, you know, if I'm working with a particularly challenging coaching client, how can I bring ease into this conversation? Rather than my default is to make it as hard as possible, believing that when I come out the other side, it's going to be better. And I've realized that that's not necessarily true. There's more playfulness. There's more um, levity in the process. So ease for me means being less consumed by the output having to look a certain way Mm. and also bringing more joy to the process and bringing more joy to the process funnily enough often has a profound impact on what the output looks like sure so first first we have to get rid of the internal belief and most of you out there have that belief which is in order for it to be worthwhile it needs to be hard in order for me to earn it it needs to be hard and what you're saying is let go of that belief and see if there's ways to make this uh easier uh, mm-hmm. more joyful, be a part of the process instead of completely in what is in the end zone. And for me, what worked was there's a distinction for me between easy and ease. If I say that it's going to be easy to write this book, because I know I've done big things. Before, You're lying to yourself. But it, that I, I have a, that I've pushed back against that. Whereas if I think about bringing ease to something, okay, that I can do that. I can wrap my head around. And, you know, even when I said it, the word easy sounded uh, vulgar to me. Uh, like, like it, it, it jarred me where the word ease is like surrender flow, you know, uh, you're still working, uh, but you're working in flow and supported. And the other thing, how to do that, of, of course, I've, I've come back to finding a way to work. And as I said, it's just being conscious, having consciousness around what my triggers are, what, where I'm more like most likely to slide back. So understanding the beliefs, the biggest one and trying to find an antidote to that. So ease. And second is trying to set my life up in a way that I don't put myself in those circumstances where I'm walking through booby traps that are likely to put me back into that Mm. place. So it's just bringing awareness to what are the type of people, what are the type of scenarios where I'm likely to slide into that persona who I used to be. And then breath by breath, bringing 
bringing the softer, more supple, more joyful me into that situation. Yeah. So tell me, who are you now? Tell, tell, tell me what the payday is. I know you're still evolving, but what is the, what is the payday that uh, going through that? Because I watched you go through some of it, right? I came in the, on the tail end. So I know some of old Mandy. I know uh, beautiful new Mandy. Share, share what the payoff is that you're, that you're offering people to go through this process. I think one of the learnings, I don't know, this is just what I'm present to in this moment, is having curiosity. I'm, I follow my curiosity. I follow my curiosity to what wants to be said, what wants to be expressed, what wants to be created. Because when I was trying to leave my corporate career, when I knew it wasn't for me, I had this like, oh, I don't know what, I, what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to stay here because I, that can't possibly be any better than this. And I squashed my curiosity. I completely squashed what, what I thought would be fun, what I thought could feel joyful because that wasn't serious. So now the, the payoff is I'm a lot more playful and I'm a lot more curious. And related to that is also that I'm a lot softer and more vulnerable and way more okay with not everybody liking me or approving of me or having to fulfill other people's expectations. Like I've become okay with the disappointment and the weight of that. You know, this is, so I love listening to you talk like this because I know that this is real. Like I didn't just meet this version of Mandy and, and go, oh yes, I could never even imagine her any different way. <laughs> I know what you, I can, I know the transformation and, and I know that it's real. So I, I know the transformation in me when people ask me about, about how do I relate with life and the joy that the spontaneous joy that I have in life. And this was hard fought. I had to go through hell to allow this to, to be born. So let's, let's take this back. So there's, there's, a, there's a wonderful young lady, and she's 34 years old, and she's driving in her BMW to her big glass building, and she's got it all, right? What do you want to say to her? I want to hug her first, and I want to hold that hug longer than feels comfortable for her because I'll feel her stiffen. And then I would, would love to sit down with her and have a cup of tea, and I would love to help her to get clear on what does success truly mean to her. And I want to mess with her thinking about what success truly means to her because so many women, myself included, having been there, have a one-legged stool and you realize that you can't create balance on a one-legged stool if it's all about status, title, money, who I am in the world. It's a way to be for a little while, but bringing awareness around what does it mean for you to be truly successful? What does a good life look like? So many people don't take stop and take stock. Like that's for everybody at every, what is my, what, I only get one go around and I don't know if I got tomorrow. So what, what, what is the quality of my life? What am I working for? You know, and, and, and how am I, how am I going about this? So now she doesn't listen to you and you meet her again. And now she's 42 and she's, and she's somewhat in breakdown, but still holding it together. Uh, but now there's cracks and she's willing to listen. Now, what do you tell her? I wonder if it would be that different. I would probably hug her again longer than comfortable for her. And at that stage, I might feel a bit of a tremor in her as opposed to a stiffening. 
in the in the and I, I don't know. I can only talk from my own experience of what I, I know. You, you're, I don't, you don't <laughs> say you don't know because I am. I am getting chills at how how real and visceral this would be because you've done it. You've met women in that there are thirty two. You've met women that are forty two. You've met women that are fifty two, and you've hugged all three. And so you have the experience of who you're meeting at the different stages in their lives. I would probably say to her that success, no matter how big. If you've got success in only one part of your life, not success. And then I would stop talking and see what impact those words had. Mm. So say those again. Success in one part of your life, no matter how profound that success is, is not success. Wow. And then just let that sink in. Mandy, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your and you know the you know, the actual hero's journey. We we went through the whole thing with you, to the to the payday of 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 becoming this vibrant, wonderful, open, feminine, productive, and impactful woman. Uh, I love meeting a, a woman in their full power uh, and femininity. It just it's it's beautiful. How can uh, how can people get in touch with you? Thank you for that, by the way. And my. Social media of choice is on Instagram. So it's just my name, which I'm sure you'll have in your show notes. And also, I do exactly what you do. So they can come and kick the tires over at my podcast. I run a podcast called MoxieCast, which is the podcast for Life Liftoff. And we explore a lot of subjects around what it is that I shared. What does it mean to be successful? How do I surrender? How do I stop people-pleasing? What, it, what is the purpose of my life? That sort of thing. And I think those are two good places to start. I, and I will put those in the show notes. What's, what's next big project for you? It's not a next big project. It is an ongoing project that I hope to bring into the world this year. I'm working on a memoir, which is as of yet untitled, but it is talking exactly about this journey of which is my story, but I think it will be a lot of other people's stories as well of the realization that who I am, who I truly am is so much more compelling than who I've tried so hard to be all my life. Mm. So that I, I know on your website, there are some of your writings. So if you want to experience Mandy, I will put in the show notes, how to get in touch with her, how to follow her. The podcast is absolutely eye-opening and miraculous. I, I suggest you add it to your playlist. Mandy, thank you so much for spending the time with me. I love spending time with you and I love that Zoom and uh, this kind of audio can, can take 5,000 miles and make it nothing. To everybody else, thank you so much for spending the time with us on the Mastering Midlife podcast. As always, please like this episode, share it if you want, and suggest topics for us to talk about, people for me to interview. I love you and have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.